0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Good morning. Good to see everyone today. As you have already seen, we're going to be in Psalm 1 today, the very first psalm. Of course, a psalm is just an old word for song. So it's song number one in the Old Old Testament uh, inspired hymnal, which the Jews used. And so we're going to take a little break from our John study uh, in order to look at some psalms over the course of the next several weeks. In uh, a month, so in uh, August, first Sunday in August, I'll be in San Antonio, as we've announced previously. I'm going to be down there at a uh, weekend uh, engagement with the church down there. And the next several lessons you hear are going to be the ones for there. So uh, you're getting the tryout, the polishing up, the, uh, uh, the, the preach them here before I go, I go preach them there. And we're going to there uh, have a weekend of Psalms, uh, Psalm 1, the Psalm of the Blessed Life. We're also going to look at Psalm 2, the Psalm of Jesus. Down there, we'll look at Psalm 32, the Psalm of Forgiveness. We're going to combine and look together at Psalm 23 and 73 on contentment. And you heard some of that lesson last week. And then uh, Psalm 90, a Psalm of Death. So we're going to cover the inspired songs of life and death, of Jesus, of forgiveness and contentment. But today, for our purpose, we have Psalm 1, the very first psalm, the preamble, uh, as some have called it, to the uh, book of Psalms, the tone setter. Uh, some have uh, made note that, unlike a, about half the psalms, and uh, toward the front of the book, really heavy, uh, uh, are the psalms that are noted, so, most, so many of them of David, of course, it's half the psalms are said to be written of David, uh, by David. and so. But these first two are notable in uh, this section of the book. Is not being uh, inscribed with any heading at all. Some have said these are the Psalms of the Lord, or these are the Psalms of Jesus, and we want to get right to that. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2 are, uh, I think, very well best studied together. And we'll talk about some of that at the end of the lesson, but we are going to get Psalm 2. Uh, which is uh, the first of the many psalms about Jesus. And uh, uh, we'll see why that these two together uh, set the tone for what's to come. Uh, let's read the text. We just sang it. Uh, we sang the text from the uh, 1650 uh, Scottish Psalter. Uh, called that because it was published in Scotland. Um, but uh, we metrical psalms, psalms to be sung by congregations, have been a part of Protestantism since the very beginning of it. In the Catholic Church, they did sing a lot of psalms, but they sang a lot of them in Latin. They weren't the the people's psalms. But that is one of the true hallmarks of the early Protestant Reformation, was that it was a singing reformation, and the psalms were the things primarily sung, especially among English speakers. In the German speakers, Martin Luther wrote a bunch of hymns, but the English speakers sang... Almost exclusively Psalms. All right, so the text, verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pause for a brief prayer. Lord, help us to look to your word, to take right counsel, to be planted well in you and in your word, to be able to stand and endure, to have the blessings that you intend for righteous men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn to look at this psalm, we note we start with blessing. Blessed is, and he will prosper in his way. That's how the three verses of the description of the righteous begin and end. Blessed is the man, and he will endure. When we think about blessed are, I know I, probably most Christians, we think about the Beatitudes. We think about those 10 or so statements of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where blessed are those that mourn and blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I always thought, you know, wow, Jesus is master teacher. He's giving these people instruction like they've never heard before. Little did I know that a beatitude, a statement of blessed is or blessed are, that is a familiar teaching thing in the Old Testament. And the only reason I thought it was unique and novel when I was studying the Sermon on the Mount as a young, younger preacher was because I didn't know the Psalms well enough. I didn't realize just how many beatitudes there were. If you look in the book of Psalms where it says blessed, it's over 50 times that things are said to be blessed. Now, a little more than half of those are about God. And obviously, blessed is God. And blessed is various God in various qualities and actions. But starting here in verse 1, we start the whole book of Psalms with a beatitude. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk with the wicked or doesn't take you know, walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit with the sinner or the scoffer. And it turns out there's almost 20 beatitudes in the book of Psalms. So if you want to look at for the, you know, blessed is this and blessed is that, again, I think we'd all rightly turn to Matthew, but we we would only get about uh, uh, 15, 20% of the ones in scripture because there's twice as many blesseds. There's twice as many beatitudes in the book of Psalms. Uh, Also at the end of the Bible, there's seven more blesseds are in the book of Revelation. And so, uh, from beginning to end, the Bible tells us in these uh, ways of beatitudes, who's blessed? Psalm 2, the end. Blessed are those who take refuge in him, talking about the Son. In uh, Psalm 32, there's a a double beatitude, two blesseds. Blessed is the one whose transgression, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not count iniquity. And so there, the blessedness of forgiveness, the blessedness for the whole people. Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 40, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who doesn't turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie, which is almost the construction we see here in Psalm 11. Psalm 41, blessed is the one who considers the poor. That almost sounds like the words of Jesus. Psalm 65, blessed is the one who you choose to bring near and dwell in your courts. So blessed is the one near to God. There's three more of those type in the Psalms. We'll not read all of them. Psalm 94, blessed is the man whom you discipline. Sounds like Hebrews 12 right there. The one who you teach your law. Psalm 106, blessed are they who observe justice and who do righteousness Verse uh, 26 of Psalm 118, the one they uh, cried out at the triumphal entry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. And the next verse as well, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. And Psalm 128, blessed. Beatitude we find four different times. We'll just read this one. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And so when we come to Jesus in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when we see blessed are, we go, oh, I know what that is. I've read a bunch of those. And Jesus gave them a few new ones. And Jesus gave them a new understanding of them. But the Beatitudes and that way of teaching and that kind of encouragement was there all along. Well, note that this man who is blessed, blessed is he, who isn't corrupted by the sinful folks of this world. Notice what it says. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of the sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scoffers. So with the ungodly folks, like the folks at the end of this song... Uh, He doesn't consort with them. Uh, He's not with them. He doesn't walk or stand or sit with them. And we note that progression walk and stand and then sit. Each one is more intimate, each one is more purposeful, each one is a longer lasting, usually, interaction. Think about the fellow who's interested in a girl. And he knows she's going to walk by. He knows where she's going to go. And so what does he do? He makes sure he's there. And then she walks by. Or maybe he knows where she's going to be and she's stationary at a desk or someplace. He makes sure he walks by. But, he may, but there's walking. We're going to make sure we get together. And if, we're, if, if he's fortunate that it's not just walking by, but if he's fortunate, they're going to be able to walk together. And he's, he's done something then. When he can join with her and he can walk with her. But then if it's going well, they may stop. And they're not walking anymore. Because why? They're standing. They're engaged in conversation. And now he's making some progress. And if he stands there long enough, and she stands there with him long enough, sooner or later somebody's going to invite somebody to sit down. And now we can sit. And now we can sit at the table and have a cup of coffee. Or we can sit and have a soda. Or we can sit and just... Do whatever. Because if he's that interested, he doesn't mind what it is. He just wants to be sitting there with her. But we note that that, that progression. And this blessed man does not go down that progression of greater intimacy, of greater knowledge, of greater time spent, of greater influence uh, under the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer. I think those are largely synonymous I know we had a progression in the walking standing sitting I don't know if we have a great progression there of wicked sinner and scoffer although maybe the scoffer the one who does voice his error and voice his evil and make fun of that which is serious and that which is profane Uh, maybe that one is the worst one I don't know but the blessed man is not under this kind of of corruption he's not under their influence and this is the problem with being with these people and walking and standing and eventually sitting is that when this becomes your friends group when this becomes the people who are influencing you you're going to over time become conformed to them you're going to talk like them you're going to think like them you're going to be like them we we often say uh, to the young people it's both a warning and an encouragement, at the same time, it's your friends are your future. You want to see what you're going to be like, who you're around, who you with. That's the people you're going to be like. And whatever opinions they have, you're very likely going to have those. Whatever actions and activities they're into, that's the thing you're very likely to do as well. That's the way you're going to think. That's the way you're going to talk. That's the way you're going to dress. That's the way you're going to associate. And it's going to be like those that are around you. Because we're social creatures and we're influenced by others. And this is true throughout our lives. If we become old and then decide to start sitting with the sinners and the scoffers. Well, why? Well, we should be totally uncomfortable in that environment. We we should be uh, at edge. It's difficult and, and painful and it, it, it's it's toilsome it's noisome to to always be purposely swimming against the tide well then why'd you get in that tide you knew that's the way the river was going why'd you get in it no but young or old stay away from these stay away from this corruption we have this from the apostle paul don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness well walking and standing and sitting with it is you're going to be participating but instead even expose them. These guys have bad morals, and they're going to corrupt your morals. This evil fellowship, this evil communication is going to corrupt. So the blessed man doesn't subject himself to that corruption. You know, we know enough about sin, we see enough about sin We understand enough about sin just from being in this world. We don't need to sit with it. And we don't need to have pleasant conversation with it. Instead, we have the right delight. And notice this, it's not just the thing we do. But it's the thing we delight in. But His delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates. Day and night. It's not this that he gets his reading in. Get your reading in. Of scripture. Of other helpful spiritual works. Get your reading in. But. It's not that we just were able to get our reading in. It's that we're happy about it. We're glad to do it. It's an enjoyment for us. It is. Delightful. Think about these folks who uh, like all these, and just pick one, there's several to choose, Uh, these comic book movies, superhero movies, all of these things out there. How much do these people like these things that are into that? Well, they know all the characters. They know all their backstory. Uh, They they wear the T-shirt. They're there for opening weekend whenever there's a new one. Maybe they'll even go to Comic-Con and dress up and, and they'll get their costumes out. But whatever the latest installment is, these people are ready for it. They're happy for it to come. They look forward to it. They know when it's going to be released. But then you ask them, rather than, you know, who's the council of the Jedis, uh, who were the 12 apostles? And most people are going to know one or the other. They're not. Really, it's amazing they never know both. But people are going to know one or the other. They're going to know uh, who the judges of Israel were. And they're going to know who the kings of Israel were. And they're going to know their story. Or they're going to know these other stories. And so, we wonder, well, why do they know so much about these? Well, it's because they delight in them. Well, our delight, our reading, our meditating, our considering, our discussing, our living, and our appreciation should be in the law of God. Now, notice what it says. It doesn't say he reads it all the time. Again, get your reading in. But it's not just reading. It's delighting in it, which would include the the knowledge of it, but also the discussion of it, and the meditation on it, that we think about it, that it's on our minds. It's, again, not just that we read it, but that we have thought about it. And if we thought about it and we know the the, the 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 concepts and we know the stories of it, you know, sometimes we feel a little embarrassed when we talk about it because we can't remember the chapter or the verse, or sometimes we can't even remember the book, but um, that's really not the important thing. The important thing is not to know the citation, but to know what, what is the point of the story and what, the, what are these things about? It's like... If we went to your neighborhood, and I asked you about the, the neighbor's house, how many of you would tell, could tell me what the number on the mailbox of the neighbor's house was? Uh, you might, if it's close enough. But if we get more than a house or two away from your house, you probably don't know the address exactly. You know what street it's on, and you know it's the brown house. And you know what cars belong to that house. And you know something about the people that are there, right? Because you know your neighborhood, and you know your neighbor's. Now, the postman, now he needs to know all the addresses, right? The postman needs to know all that. But if you really need the address, what can you easily do? You can look it up. So I'm not saying you need to memorize a bunch of citations, that you know all the time exactly where, what a thing is by chapter and verse, but that you know the story, you know the message, you know the content, and so, like if you have a favorite television show, you might know what happened to a certain character, but you probably, you might not remember which episode number that was, right? Now, was that, was that, was that season three, episode nine or 11? Which, I, I don't know, but I can still discuss what happened with the character, right? I can still do that. We need to have that kind of knowledge about the Bible, that we know it like our neighborhood. We know which family in the neighborhood uh, is connected to where. Uh, We know which one's in which house. And if we really know our our neighborhood pretty well, we'll know that those people don't really like those people, right? And we'll know that those people are are friends with those people. We'll know the connections. And knowing the connections is so much more important than knowing the actual address, isn't it? And that's how we need to know the Bible. We need to meditate on it. Not that we try to memorize great blocks of text nobody's actually ever going to need you to be a human dictaphone kids ask your parents what a dictaphone was we don't need that we can look it up on our phones if we do but we need to know in our hearts and carry with us in our hearts the stories and the principles and the ethics and the life that is there again if we need the citation we can look that up We can find it when we're in that kind of detailed study. But what we need to do is have the word of God be the thing we think about. Be the thing that we meditate on. We think about this from Psalm 119, the psalm of the word. Psalm 119.2. Blessed are those who keep his commandments. Who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119.10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. And verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. That's why we need this in our hearts. So that we know what this is about. Our heart is toward God. and Our heart keeps us from sin. Because everywhere I go every day in my life. I'm carrying with me my heart and my conscience. I might have a Bible nearby. Now that it's on my phone, I might have several nearby, electronically searchable. But when I'm making a split-second decision of how to act, how to treat people, in what to do, what am I going to go by? I'm going to speak from the abundance of my heart. I'm going to act as my conscience dictates. And that I need to have instant access to. And it's been trained well, I hope, and I hope yours will be as well, by meditation on the law of God. Psalm 119, 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. See, we need understanding of these things. I think about the Pharisees. They knew the citations, the chapter, and the verses. But they didn't keep or observe the law, did they? And so it's not just about a knowledge, a book learning, a citation ability. It's about an understanding, deep in the heart. So from that. Flows fruitful blessing. He is like a tree. Jeremiah used the same figure famously. He is like a tree that's planted. By streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all he does he prospers. So he's secure. And <clears throat> he is fruitful. The tree by the water is always water. did not it? It's watered by the roots deep underground. You might not even see the connection between between the tree and the water. Matter of fact, you probably don't unless there's a few exposed roots. But you always know that by water there's trees, right? You go to the Flint Hills. Where are the trees? They're down in the folds of the land by the water. You go around. Where are the trees? The trees are by the water. And that's even more so the farther west we go. And Palestine is much more like uh, the western part of our state than the eastern It's dry, it's rocky, it's rough, it's arid. Where were the trees? The trees were down by the streams. And so here is the picture of the blessed man, the man of God. He's the last to lose water in the dry year. He's going to be fruitful and sustained all the time. And then, as one modern theologian put it, he said, our life is more plodding, not sprinting. We're to be fruitful like a tree. Not efficient like a machine we have in our culture modern technology and modern machinery we have a lot of inhumanity we have a lot of things that aren't friendly to people Uh, like like the front end of cars right Uh, not friendly to people oh helpful if you're in it and it gets you to places people can go all uh, all kind of places but you know there's a certain inhumanity to it isn't there there's a certain lack of connection because you're in this big metal cocoon that your big metal cocoon is bigger than the other guy's. It'll run his over. Uh, hopefully not. And, and hopefully you're insured if you do. Talking about inhumanity. and things contrary to the human spirit. But we have a lot of inhumanity. But trees. Here's the picture of the productive, stable person. The tree that gives shelter to others. The tree that gives shade, the tree that's reliable. It's not like some a high efficiency machine frantic and grasping and running a thousand miles an hour. And you don't want that life, do you? Have 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 some of us tried that and we find it wanting, obviously. No, there's a certain calmness and stability and glory in this. Well watered tree, fruitful in its seasons. Now, compared to that lovely, stable, generation long tree, we move to the chaff. We move to the worthless, the vanishing. The wicked are not so. They're not prospering. They're not well planted. They're here and then they're gone. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So there's no stability. There's no long-term fruitfulness in the sinner. The chaff, the dry, the useless, the, the husk that's blown away. By the dry winds, it can't last. It can't stand. It doesn't sustain anybody. Nobody's glad that more of it's there. Right? I've told y'all before. Everywhere I move, I plant a tree. Y'all can go see the one in the front yard I planted there. But the one thing I've never planted is chaff. Anybody ever plant chaff? Ooh, no. You, you, it's a byproduct of something that was good. But it's useless in itself. It does come along. It is in the world. But it isn't what we need. It isn't what we keep. These cannot abide. The wicked can appear for a while to be like the tree. Psalm 37. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, it says. He will exalt you, and you for you to inherit the land. Oh, the meek shall inherit the earth. Okay. Uh, you will look on while the wicked are cut off. Now I've seen, it says, Psalm 37, 35. I have seen a wicked man, a ruthless man, spreading himself out like a green laurel tree. For a while, looked like there was some hope in that guy. Looked like he was doing well, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, I couldn't find him. Mark the blameless and behold the upright. For there is future for a man of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Because they take refuge in him. So there was a little while where that wicked man looked like a, a, a lovely green tree. But he wasn't one and he disappeared, and he went away. And so they're not in the congregation anymore, right? Isn't that what it said? Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, congregations have a way of weeding out sinners. We just wait till they fall away sometimes. Sometimes that's all we have to do, but especially after judgment, after judgment, what will be of the wicked in the congregation? They'll be separate from the congregation, won't they? So worthless and vanishing. Lastly, we won't go back and rehearse the entire psalm, but think about this psalm in regard to Christ. We started with the blessing of a man who didn't follow sinners at all, a man who delighted in God's law and meditated on it constantly. One who was thoroughly planted and completely prospering in the things of God. You know, sometimes I read things like Psalm 1, I go, that's, that's good for that guy. It, I, I haven't always done that. It doesn't seem that way for me. In reality, Christ is the only one who ever fully fulfilled the first three verses. In trueness, in completeness, continually Christ is the only one who's done it. But in him, we can be justified to be lifted to such a place. If we're not, we're going to be the people of the second half, right? We're going to be like chaff that's just driven away. We're going to not be able to stand in judgment. We're going to not be in the Congregation of the Righteous after that. We're going to perish if, but what? If, but we know Christ. If we have faith in him, then come to him. And so the first psalm could be a contrast between Christ and us. But it's certainly because of his blessing and only in him that it's a contrast between those who follow him and those that don't, right? So again, look at it, if it just became of actual performance of doing, Verses 1 to 3, he's the only one who's really, truly, fully, from the start, ever done it. Yet, for those who of him who have, who in him have faith, that are justified in him, are washed in him, are cleansed in him, he makes them to be the people of verses 1 to 3. But everybody without him, without exception, will then be verses 4 to 6. And so... The first three verses are those first it was Christ and then those with Christ. And verse four to six are those always without him. And that is a very old song. A song of inspiration. Another hymn writer, one closer to our day. He said this. He said, without him. How lost I would be without him. I could do nothing without him. I'd surely fail without him. I'd be drifting like a ship without a sail without him. I would be dying without him. I'd be enslaved without him. My life would be worthless, but with Jesus, thank God I'm saved. That's why I cry. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, do you know him today? Please don't turn him away. Oh, Jesus, my Jesus, without him I lost, I would be. That's probably the only hymn we sing that was recorded by Elvis Presley. But it's a good set of words, isn't it? Written in 1963, Elvis heard it one time, recorded it the next week or two. But that is the truth. Without Jesus, how lost I would be. So we have Psalm 1, the psalm of life, the psalm of a blessed life. The psalm of the life of Christ. The psalm of the life Christ gives us. And the warning of the life we have without him. So the first psalm. Next week, Lord willing, the second. With that then, we'll close offering you the invitation. If you need to come confessing uh, Jesus, our Savior, the one who forgives us and lifts us up to be blessed and to prosper and to know the way of God or if you need to come back confessing sin to return to him we ask you to come as we stand and sing thank you for listening to this sermon from the malvain church of christ additional sermons and information available at malvainchurch.com come see what a difference the bible way makes